0: Hi, everyone. My name is Rowdy Gaines. I was born and raised in Florida, two-time Olympian. I won three Olympic gold medals in the 1984 games in the sport of swimming and just called my eighth games this past summer in Tokyo for NBC in the sport of swimming. So I'm really looking forward to answering your questions along the way.
1: Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I've just finished a wonderful conversation with the voice of swimming, the multiple Olympic champion, world record holder, world champion, Mr. Rowdy Gaines. And in this conversation, we talk from everything from how Rowdy started swimming to the 1980 boycott and the Olympics that he missed that... um, you know he truly would have won 3 or 4 gold medals there you know most likely he was by far the best swimmer in the world at that time then deciding to keep going until 1984 even though there was no professional swimming as such so he was working you know from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. in the morning and then training twice a day and, and sleeping during the in between workouts just incredible story and and we're only talking you know 40 years ago and but then his world in the announcing world and and the major Olympics that he's been a part of. Nine Olympics. He's now gone to nine Summer Olympics in a row and he's called swimming events in all of them. We dissect who we think are the greatest athletes of all time, uh, where swimming is now and where it's likely to go, but just a really fantastic conversation with one of the great minds in the world of swimming. A little bit of housekeeping before we go on. Thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying the show, you'd be doing me a tremendous favour if you would share it uh, and really get the word out there you can also find rowdy Gaines on any question and if you go to anyquestion.com forward slash rowdy that's anyquestion.com forward slash rowdy gains you can find him there you can listen to all the answers that he's already got there and you can ask him some of your own follow-up questions after this uh, episode of the show once again thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed this one as much as i did and remember Success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right, today's guest is an icon in the swimming world. He's a three-time Olympic gold medalist, six-time world champion, and he set 10 world records in the 100-metre and the 200-metre freestyle between 1978 and 1984. He's a U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame member And for the past 20 years, he's become the voice of swimming. What I truly love about this man is just his absolute passion. It's absolutely contagious. His answers on the Any Question app have all just been brilliant. And I'm thrilled to be able to speak to him today and just dive a little deeper. So welcome and thank you for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show. Rowdy Gaines, how are you, mate? Thank you so much, Greg. I need to take you on the road, mate,
0: and uh, have <laughs> me introduced that way more often. I love it. Uh, um, you gave me lots of kudos there. I don't even know if they're all true, but I love them anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mate. I've had to dial it down a little bit. When I look at someone like yourself, I actually had to kind of go, let's shorten that just a little bit. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, one of the things I do enjoy on this show is I bring on remarkable people that have wonderful stories and journeys. And uh I do enjoy celebrating and recognizing early in the show. So kudos to everything you've done, mate. Um, where are you at the moment?
0: I am uh, in Port Charlotte, Florida. Dude, I'll tell you a 30-second story. We lived in Orlando, right, for yeah. the last 12 12- 13 years. And I live five minutes from Disney World. So I was like in the urban Mecca of the world, right Mm -hmm. next to New York. And we just said, you know what, my wife and I said, we wanted a simpler lifestyle. So right now I can't turn the camera around and show anybody, but because I know I'll mess things up, but uh, (laughs) we live about a mile out in the country on a dirt road. Uh, where we bought a little piece of property we're rebuilding a house and uh, live right next door to my father who has a piece of property out here and just a real simple lifestyle i've I kind of toned things down as i've gone into my uh, the twilight of my years, so to speak
1: that's fantastic mate i actually did see yeah. when you uh you answered on any question that you'd moved out to the woods in florida and you said you were trying to learn you know new skills in in carpentry and <laughs> building how's that all coming along
0: oh my gosh that's right i, I do remember answering that question right they asked me what <laughs> new skills i'd like to learn well you know the house that we're moving into greg it dude, it was like built in the fifties and it's 1200 square feet. So we're going from like 4,000 to (laughs) 1200 and we're, we're taking it down to studs and kind of starting over. So I've never done that. I I mean, I've, you know, probably bought and sold seven or eight houses during my lifetime, but it's always buying a house. We've never started from scratch, so to speak. And so it's really exciting. It's a new adventure and, you know, I really recommend that to a lot of people. When I when I got that question on any question, I thought it was really cool because, you know, I'm 62 years old and, you know, I am so set in my ways. I am so boring. And I thought, you know, it'd be really cool to kind of learn a new craft, learn a new trade. I suck at it, but at least I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to do things new and yeah. being creative. Believe me, I'm not building the house. We hired somebody to do it but I'm pitching in everywhere I can. So I love kind of,
1: it. Mate. I, I think that's fantastic. And I'm yeah. much like you, we we sold our house in Colorado, moved down here, 5,000 square foot home to a 1200 square foot apartment. So, and I've oh, got a four wow. and a two year old with me right now. So we, we um, oh, well, and always gosh. going forward, I guess, but it's a, yeah, I get the idea of you kind of downsizing, but I'm not uh, learning a new skill in terms of building a house. But I am learning a lot by suddenly um, working in the tech startup space of any question, which has been a, drinking yeah. through a fire hose and learning and growing. Yeah. Um, so I get it. Well, mate, we got a lot to cover. I mean, your swimming career and the ups and downs of that, you're announcing and and I guess where swimming is today. So why don't we just get started? One of my favorite questions is to just let's rewind the clock and just tell me, you know, when did your passion for swimming first begin?
0: Well, you know, I uh, backing up even further, I grew up in Winter Haven, Florida, Greg, which is like if you threw a dart, you'd hit right in the middle of the state of Florida. And Winter Haven has 120 something lakes. And I grew up on Lake Eloise, which is the same lake that the ski attraction called cypress gardens was on and my parents water skied for cypress Gardens, so i grew up around water my whole life but i never swam competitively i learned how to swim before i learned how to walk i was nine months old when i learned how to Mm, swim mm. but when i got to high school i started trying out for all these sports and and i kept getting cut in every one of them and after five sports swimming was next i thought swimming you know i I do that for fun i'm not going to do that for competition but decided to go out for it, and, and I'm making it a long story, but long story short, I think after about two weeks of not being cut, first of all, <laughs> um, and uh, and actually swimming in a meet where, and that's a long story. But I, I, I found my passion um, after about two weeks of being involved in the sport and said, oh, my gosh, I love this sport, and I'm going to do everything in my power to try to be successful in it. I didn't think anything about the Olympics, but I really wanted to be a good swimmer. What that meant, I don't know. But that—that that, that, I think the fire really started after, literally, after not being cut from the team.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so was that like you, you get that, well, like not getting cut, you get that pat on the back that says, oh, maybe I'm okay at that. Was that the yeah. moment you were like, oh, I've got some ability? Or was I mean, it later on you kind of did an event or yeah, did something no. like that? No,
0: that's a great point, Greg, because it was literally somebody on the team that gave me that pat on the back. It was a literal pat on the back. Mm. It was a senior, um, Johnny Patterson. I'll never forget. um, Came over as a junior of 17 years old. Johnny, after about 10 days. Dude, I was swimming with my head out of the water. I couldn't do a flip turn. I sucked. (laughs) But Johnny came over to me after a practice one day and patted me on the back and said, hey nice job today you're getting the hang of this and for some reason it just meant so much to me like Mm -hmm. just like you said it was just like i i think i realized that you know i'm gonna be okay here you know i feel like i'm gonna i feel like i'm gonna make it and have this be a, a sport at least i can enjoy in high school yeah
1: I mean, you started it so late. I mean, yeah. seventeen, anybody we say that these days, if you're starting a sport seventeen and could you win an Olympic gold or I think we'd all be like, Well, maybe, but I mean, was that the norm in in your no. era there? Or no,
0: no you no, no, no. It it it's been, you know, it's been like that for generations that you start at a very early age. Now there have been great swimmers. I don't know about the international side, but um, John Neighbor, who was a great Olympic champion in '76, he didn't really start till he was 12. Uh, Matt Biondi, didn't; re- he, he played water polo for much of his career and didn't really start swimming till he was 11 or 12. But 17 is kind of old. And mm. but again, I, I take you back, Greg, to to Winter Haven, growing up, and having yeah. water being part of the fabric of your being. It, it's like you, Greg. I mean, you grew up, mm-hmm. you know in an environment where water is part of who you are Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and so for me it was the same way growing up in florida so i think it was in my blood i just didn't realize it
1: yeah i've noticed florida and australia have a lot of similarities um right you're you're either sailing water skiing swimming whatever it is it's something to do with water and the great athletes that come out of these places is tends to be nautical in some form (laughs) or another Mm -hmm. um you mentioned something which i thought was really cool is that that mentoring and that role of just getting somebody patting you on the back and and you going, oh, somebody else believes in me. I I think we can all do better in recognising others and mentoring the new generation coming through. I love the fact that that was the moment that you were like, oh, maybe I will stick with this. Was there another moment that you moved onwards where, you know, hang on, maybe the Olympics is even a possibility, you know, uh, moving forward?
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, flash forward a year. I, I made the state championship that that, that spring. Um, got Went down, there were 16 swimmers, I finished 16.
1: Wait, did you have head, head down by then or were you still swimming head out of the water and were you doing flip turns? <laughs> I finally
0: learned <laughs> to swim with my head down. But you should have seen my flip turns. In fact, I think on the third 25, I did a... a, a wall turn. I didn't do a flip turn because I had ran <laughs> run out of gas. So, yeah, I finished 16th. And But that was another inspiring moment, Greg. You, yeah. know, you talk about it was a motivational moment, you know, because I was upset. You know, I thought, I, I don't want to be in this kind of position anymore. And I And I felt grateful that after swimming for three months that, you know, I was able to even qualify. Only 16 qualified in the whole state and felt lucky to be there. But It was another inspiring moment, but flash forward another year and back to your question, I think I won my state championship my senior year in that same event. Hmm. And I think uh, for me, the, the, the fire started burning inside me. Again, not so much about the Olympics, but I wanted to be good, not just in the state of Florida, Mm -hmm. because that time, you know, back then we got Swimming World magazine and, you know, I looked up my time and it was in the top 10 in the country in high school. And I thought, wow, if I'm one of the top 10 in high school, you know, and I've only been doing this for a year. Maybe the the sky is the limit for me. And uh, to borrow an old cliche, but. I I think there were certain moments, stepping stones along the way that certainly were inspiring moments. Some of them were valleys and some of them were peaks, Mm -hmm. Um, but they all played a part in in my success, I think.
1: I mean, there's obviously some, you know, I don't like to dwell on talent versus non-talent, but there's obviously some talent that you can jump in the pool and, you know, a year later be winning, you know, the state championships. But was your family background one of you know, discipline or how, how did your parents raise you to the point that, you know, to become a champion, there's a lot more than just being able to turn the arms over in the pool. There's a mindset and there's a way that you, you carry yourself. Was there anything instrumental from your family values that you took to swimming?
0: Well, I mean, I, I won three gold medals in LA. Um, I gave one to my mom, one to my dad and one to my coach at the time, Richard quick, <laughs> because I couldn't have done it without their love and sur- their support. So, Getting to your question is, you know, my parents were very supportive of me, but they were really hands off with my swimming. My dad was more about, you know, oh, you just broke a world record. Cool. How'd you do on that test yesterday? You know, and my mom was like, you know, falling on the ground, emotional crying, you know, when, when anything happened in swimming. So they both came at it with a little bit of a, a, a different attitude, but both of them were very supportive mm. and uh, I, I owe a lot to them um, for being there, it comes down to, again, it's cliche-ish, but unconditional love. Mm -hmm. I think that's what you need from your parents, from your family, not just, maybe it's not a parent, maybe it's a grandparent or aunt and uncle or brother or sister. Mm -hmm. That unconditional love is important from your family and friends. And for me, that was, uh, a deal changer so to speak and the fact that i was able to rely on that unconditional love and not worry about how they felt about how i did in swimming or
1: not Mm, it's the ultimate privilege isn't it to have that family environment where you know you can always come come home no matter what happens you can go and explore the world and no matter what happens i can come home and still be loved for me that's the ultimate privilege um it is. Yeah. And we're
0: not all blessed to have that. Oh, absolutely right? not. No, no, no. I it, can't imagine mm. not having that. It, I, I there's no way I would have been able to do what I did. I broke my first world record two and a half years after I started swimming. So wow. your your statement about talent is very true. I was blessed. Mm. You know, however you feel about, you know, your, your religious beliefs or whoever feels whatever, there's no di- no doubt in my mind, anyway, that I w- I was blessed
2: uh, mm.
0: with with some sort of God-given talent.
1: You have that, but it's also you unwrapped it, uh, and I think mm-hmm. you know, all yep. of us have talents. We all have something within us, yep. and um, to be able to identify it and then unwrap it and 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 let it shine is is enough as a whole nother game. Was there a point that you said, okay, swimming is what I'm going to do? That's put my blinders on. Uh, this is what I'm going to do. Was there a mo- one moment or was it built over time? No, there was there
0: was that moment. I, I, I go back to two weeks after I got through. Yeah, the, the story, the long story I was going to tell you, I'll shorten it. Two weeks after I started, Greg, we swam in our first meet, right? Mm. And my coach put me in the 500 freestyle. By the way, the coach was also the football coach who had cut me once already. So he said, <laughs> I'm going to put you in the 500 freestyle hoping to get rid of you, Right. And that's when I went like nine minutes, and I literally went nine minutes, nineteen seconds. That's when I did know how to do a flip turn, running into the lane lines like I didn't have goggles, running into the lane lines like little six-year-olds. But he put me on an e relay, two hundred free relay at the end of the meet. I was on there with a couple of chess club guys and band members, <laughs> and and, uh, and but I outsplit everybody else on the team those A, B, C, and D relays. And I think that moment when the coach looked at his watch and then looked at me and kind of nodded his head, I think that's the that was the aha moment. Like, holy crap! I love the I love the sport. Mm-hmm. So you should have seen me. I started I started going to the library and checking out books <laughs> on, on swimming. Back then, that's what we did. We didn't go on the internet, obviously. I remember getting Deep Water by Don sholander Uh, 50 Meter Jungle by Mark Spitz, Doc Councilman's um, technical book. And I just started consuming everything about swimming, the history of the sport, the technical aspect of the sport. I wanted to know everything I could about swimming. Um, And I did that for, you know, really throughout my whole career. I still, I I love the history of the sport.
1: Mm. It's it's like I said in the introduction, you're you're one of the most passionate Announcers in the world and and you just through that passion and the way that you commentate these events you can just tell that this is your true passion it's like you're consumed by it um, to some degree I, I look at myself as a young triathlete I was exactly the same in the 80s you know it was like I just watch anything I could I'd sneak in the back of bars to be able to watch it on, on the sky television. All the races were happening in the U S and, um, you know, watching the Olympics and you guys in, in sort of mm-hmm. 84 was obviously I was 12 then. So it was very instrumental mm-hmm. in sort of my life and what I wanted to do. And so I, like you, I've had this enormous passion and that's studying the history, getting to know everybody. And it's part of the reason I do this podcast, to be honest, I, I get to chat with just incredible people um, that are doing remarkable things and uh, it keeps that passion alive for me, especially as I get a bit older and I can't quite do it as well as I used to. And so I can watch from the sidelines, but I can still live it about, a bit like you are doing with your announcing. Right. You mentioned in any question about managing your mental game and you said, you know, life is just full of ups and downs and peaks and valleys and, and we're shaped by these experiences and the losses or or the the tough times are often when you can learn the most. Um, So on that, I kind of want to sort of dive into maybe your least fond fondest memory of your athletic career and and maybe understanding what you learned from that and how did you grow from that? Um, So was there one thing that kind of stood out to you?
0: Well, sure. I mean, for me, uh, obviously, and it's kind of obvious, I guess, But it, it has to be the boycott of 1980. Mm -hmm. And, and that was out of my control. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it was a, you know, it was certainly a valley that I didn't control. I controlled some of my valleys, you know, but that one was, uh, one that I couldn't help. It was tough, Greg. Mm -hmm. I mean, because as you know, more than anybody, the Olympics is sort of the pinnacle of success in our sport. Maybe triathlon, you have different pinnacles because of the distances and stuff. But the Olympics, especially now that triathlon is of course. is a mainstay in the Olympics, and if you do that type of distance, the Olympics is is a pinnacle, and certainly in swimming, it is. And to have that taken away, who's tough, you know? Yeah. Uh, because as as most of us know, the Olympics is every four years; it's not every year. So that wait, that time period for me was an eight-year journey.
1: Just for our our younger listeners, just to give reference, 1980, um, President Jimmy Carter announced that the United States would be boycotting the Summer Olympic Games that were to be held in Moscow uh, in the USSR, basically because of the Soviets' invasion of Afghanistan in 79. And so the boycott was kind of, it was accompanied by other measures and embargoes and everything else, but they used the not sending the athletes to that games as a way of saying pull your troops out of Afghanistan there were about 60 or 70 other countries involved but US and and Jimmy Carter really really took the lead on that what, what, what was crazy is they did it so late like so close you know and to give reference to you you were the world champion world record holder um, mm. 78 79 have to be a pretty massive favour for several, three to four gold medals um, going into that games. And then it was a couple of months, ma- three months out, you were told you're not going. It just yeah. what was that experience like when you first heard the news that they're actually going to postpone those games? What? How did you manage it and what was that first experience like?
0: Well, it was uh, much more difficult for me because leading up to it, I had broken my first world record, April 1st, 1980, and I broke a, a Soviet, uh, his, his last name was Kopolikov, mm-hmm. Konstantin Kopolikov from Russia. I broke his world record in the 200-meter freestyle, First, my first individual world record. Mm-hmm. The day after I broke that world record is when the United States announced that we would officially boycott those games. And again, that was, like you said, about three months before. It was tough. But Greg, I... I I look back and I look at the blessings that I had that I was a swimmer. And, yes, that was a valley, but I came out of it. And I was a very fortunate athlete in the fact that I got to experience 1984.
2: Mm.
0: There were 363 athletes that made the 1980 Olympic team that did not make it in 76 and did not make it in 84. So that was their lone Olympic team was 1980. Those are the athletes that are real sports heroes. I use here. I don't like to use word hero too much when it comes to athletes, but when you're talking about athletics, those are the real heroes because they did the same thing I did, but never got to an experience what an Olympics was like. And I think that's what we Aspired to do. We wanted to be an Olympian, you know, because once you're an Olympian, you're an Olympian forever and ever. Even though I made the Olympic team in 1980, along with so many others, it was an empty feeling. And then you have to explain, "Oh, I was a 1980 Olympian." Well, how'd you do? Well, we didn't get to go because blah 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 Mm -hmm. blah. And it's a tough position to be in for sure. But i I felt so I felt so much um, love for those athletes that didn't get a chance. So it's hard for me to talk about it to where it was that tragic because I had my day in the sun. You
1: still I got played. to do it again. But there was, right. I mean, I can, I'm just putting myself in your, your position and, and I, I have tremendous empathy for, for you and, and all, all the other athletes that that was taken away from. But mm-hmm. did you have a moment or there must've been a point that you felt like, okay, I'm just going to give it away. Cause it's, I mean, sport then was very different in terms of commercialism and professionalism. And, you know, maybe I've got to go get a job. There now. was no
0: money. So. No, oh, yeah. mo-
1: no money. So at what point, and how did you dig yourself out of, I can imagine a bit of a funk and get yourself going and get excited about, you know, 84 and swimming again.
0: Well, fortunately, 1980 happened during a good time of my life, meaning, uh, I was World Swimmer of the Year in 1980. I was really riding a high as far as my performances were going. And, Greg, I was entering my senior year in college. So it had happened right after my junior year, which I won a couple NCAA titles. We had a top five finish as a team at Auburn. So I was entering my senior year. I got elected team captain. So I had my teammates to kind of wrap their arms around me, and I would wrap my arms around them. And we... Bonded as a family; those were my brothers and sisters, and I was able to kind of use that as motivation going into my senior year. I didn't want to let my team down. Mm. When I graduated, that's when it really became tough because I retired after my senior year. You did what everybody else did up to that point—you you retire from the sports. Mark Spitz was 21 when he won seven gold medals. Wow. Um, John Neighbor was 20. I mean, you. Yeah, you didn't. Nobody swam post-college because there was no money. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't allowed to take money. It wasn't the fact that there wasn't money. You weren't even allowed to. That's Back true. then, yeah. it was strictly an NCAA-type rule, and the fact that you were not only amateurs were allowed to compete in sports. That's why we didn't have a dream team in basketball until 1992. So, you mm-hmm. know, it was. like um, I quit. I retired, and uh, but after about six months. You know my father came to me and said are you going to be able to look at yourself in the mirror for the rest of your life and say what if <laughs> um, and listen to the national anthem or hear the olympic theme or see the olympic rings uh, it, it you know it's going to affect you the rest of your life if you don't do it when lose or draw and that's when i decided to do it and, and go for
1: it i mean that being a home olympics that must have been a little bit more of a i gotta make this happen as well i mean it's one thing if it was overseas, but a home Olympics did that sort of drive that as well a little bit.
0: It, it did a little bit, yeah. Uh, but I was also, Greg. You know, I was. I, I tried to be mu- as much of an optimist as, as possible, but I, I was a little bit pessimistic that there were that there would even be an Olympics in LA. Mm. You know, with a boycott and everything. I just my viewpoint on the Olympic movement in general had soured a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was we were right fresh in the middle of the Cold War with the Soviets.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, there, there was a lot of unknown leading into those next three years. But I, I go back to saying that I just so desperately wanted to, to call myself an Olympian at that point. Mm-hmm. For two and a half years, my, my daily schedule when I graduated from college in 1981 until the trials of 1984 would be, morning practice sleep all day and then i worked as a night clerk in a hotel from the uh, from 8 p.m to 4 a.m shift <laughs> go home sleep for about an hour and then start all over again
1: i love these stories rowdy i love these <laughs> stories it, you know you and uh frank shorter i know, i don't know if you know frank, frank shorter. very well i know frank very yeah. well so frank was my neighbor in boulder we both sold our houses in october this year actually so we're not neighbors anymore but we got to know each other pretty well and I had him on yeah. the show, eh, probably about six months ago. And uh, yeah. the stories that you guys have—it's <laughs> just—it's a different climate. It's a different culture. Yeah. It's a—you know—talking about the professionalism in in sport. And you know, I know Frank and his stories with Prefontaine and them trying to—you know—figure out where the money's going. That you know was getting paid to the u.s athletes but the athletes weren't getting it themselves and it was disappearing and it's kind of like what's going on here and uh and you know to hear you working you know from 8 p.m till 4 in the morning and then swimming twice a day and sleeping during the day it's i mean what i love about that is this tremendous desire to do something great you know it's like it's one thing to say oh rowdy Gaines had some talent like we talked about earlier you had some talent but it's different to say okay that olympics was taken away from you now we're gonna for two and a half years you can go if you want but this is how what it's going to look like Mm. and and there's not many people that are going to raise their hands and go oh yeah i'll I'll do that that sound that sounds like something i want to do i mean (laughs) something right there i think is tremendously you've got to be proud of that kind of an effort because it's not just Getting the USOC funding and a, and a big contract from Speedo and away you go and train and sleep and, you know, eat right and build your team around you. It's, no, I'm on my own and this is what I want to do. And what I love also, and we can talk about this in a moment, your times are still very competitive. You know, even if we talk 40 years later, I think it's uh, I think it's outstanding. So let's do this. Let's um, We've talked about your least fondest moment. Let's fast forward a bit. Or maybe, or maybe it's not fast forward, but... Your fondest moment in your athletic career, what is it?
0: Well, I think the easy answer is, you know, when I won the 100 freestyle in 84. Mm. And that, I mean, I I can't sugarcoat that. No, (laughs) no, no. But, but, you know, I, I think the memory that holds the fondest to me I know it sounds silly, but I think it's when I won my state meet my senior year in high school. <laughs> the joy that I remember is even more so than when I won the gold medal in the Olympics. Oh, I love Just that. purely yeah. from a, you know, from a kid standpoint, I'm, you know, yeah. 17, 18 years old. And the joy that that moment brought me was pretty cool. Um uh,
1: that's awesome. And, and
0: again, it goes. Yeah, and again, and again, it goes back to you know where I, I started thinking more of a, on a global scale when that happened, and mm. um, I had I made a big drop. You know, Greg, for us, you and I, everything revolves around the clock, mm. right? Our careers revolve around a stopwatch. It doesn't have to be that totally, but for, for in, in so many ways, that's what what it is. You know, for a triathlete, it's all about the clock. And for a swimmer, it certainly is. And for me, I made a, a huge drop. My, my best time going into that state meet was 146 in the 200 freestyle. I went 141. Wow. So it was, it was like, you're okay in Polk County, 146 to five-second drop. And now, oh my gosh, I'm one of the best in the country high schoolers
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so that was a that was a huge moment for me and and i didn't make that drop at the olympics An olympics is a completely different animal because the clock doesn't mean anything there
1: mm-hmm. you know win the race win the race yeah the, <laughs>
0: clock, the clock is irrelevant you know i i think both of them together have have had different feelings but i would I would uh, stack the one in high school with the one at the olympics as far as pure
1: joy i know that's fantastic it's it's often the way though it's like we sometimes you know people there's a almost like of course it's going to be the olympic hundred meters like actually my life is made up of there's more pieces to this than just that one moment but i do want to discuss that olympics a little bit more because hometown olympics World record holder, world champion, going in, missed the 1980 Olympics. Hanging on for that long. You, you, you said on again. I mentioned the any question app, but uh, I've loved all your answers on there. So I'm going to mention it again. You said somebody asked you about, you know, how do you manage stress and anxiety? And I can only imagine the amount of pressure that was both put on yourself and from others going into that olympics and but you said on any question you know you embrace the stress in a positive way that you were you accept the stress and the anxiousness that that's actually how you're going to get the most out of yourself that you just let it be in you and it's okay take me through just the pressure of that 1984 olympic games and the the gold ribbon event the blue ribbon event excuse me the 100 meter freestyle experience and and what was that all like you know
0: well First of all, I think you, you have to understand that I was at the tail end of my career, Greg. I I was 25. In fact, I was the third oldest swimmer in history to win a gold medal individually at 25 when I won the hundred freestyle. And and to be honest with you, uh, we we could have swam that race ten times, and I would have lost nine of them. I was not the best swimmer in '84. There were there were four or five guys that were were just they were better than I was but everything it was just a perfect storm for me in the preparation leading up to that moment you know what I mean hmm. you know how we prepare for the moment mm-hmm. meaning getting a good night's sleep eating a good meal all the things warming up for the race obviously what you did beforehand as far as the training goes but it's also the the, the week or so leading up to the event the big event that you have, you know, how does that go for you? Do you have sleepless nights? Uh, do you have food poisoning or, you know, it, it, I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong. And for me, everything went right.
2: You mm. know,
0: um, I got great roommate at the Olympics. Uh, he let me, it was Matt Biondi. Wow. He let me turn on my box fan as, as, uh, you know, that static noise. In fact, he's to this day 35 years later, he can't sleep without a box fan. He still gives me grief about it. (laughs) And I got a good meal. Uh, I didn't sleep too good the night before, but I got a really good nap. You know how naps are for athletes. Well, if you get a good nap in, that's just killer. I know that sounds so minuscule. You're thinking, what's the big deal? But it was like everything leading up to it was perfect. I laid off my legs in the morning and the prelims. I didn't really which I had not done the previous two years. And I kept failing in finals in the two years leading up to that. So I really kind of took a risk and backed off my legs. I was seated third going into the finals, So nobody really expected me to win. And walking out, right? you know, I had 20,000 people cheering for me. Mm. <laughs> and I felt that energy. I know that sounds corny, but I really – I felt the love and I felt the energy from that crowd because, as you said, doing it at home was really special. And if the Olympics had been in Seoul, Korea, or Moscow, Soviet Union, I don't think I would have performed at that high of a level in that one race. Mm -hmm. So everything was perfect. Again, we swim it the next day, I would have been fourth or fifth. (laughs) But for me in that day, it was – Everything just lined up, the stars aligned for me. And the biggest thing, Greg, I know I'm 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 flapping my mouth here, but the single most important thing was my start. If you watch my race from the Olympics, it all boiled down to me having a great start, Um, and that was my coach. I'll tell you a quick story, dude. So in the Olympics, at least back then, there are three starters, right? Mm -hmm. And they rotate. I swam the third day. This is long story short, but I swam the third day. There was a starter that basically said, take your mark, bang. I mean, he wouldn't even let you get set. And he started a couple of races those two days before. I didn't notice it, but my coach did notice it. He came to me and said, we have to change your start because I went down really slow, just like everybody else, and tried to time my start. And he said, you've got to come down quick. If you don't come down quick, you're going to get left on the blocks potentially. Mm-hmm. I thought he was nuts. Dude, he's changing my start 24 hours <laughs> before. And this is a start I had been working on for two and a half years. It was a track start, which we created. I created the Are track start. Are you the one that created the
1: track start? Yeah. Oh, I should know I was that. That's awesome. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I was the only one that did it yeah. in 84.
0: Yeah. I, I was the only swimmer to do a track start. And I started it in 90, uh, 1982. So I had been working on this start. And, uh, so again, (laughs) the perfect storm, it was just, he changed my start or the cadence of coming down on my start. That was a difference maker. It was just like everything worked out perfectly. So, you know, uh, my coach, that's one of the reasons why I gave him my gold medal because he deserved it. I would have been left on the blocks just like everybody else. Yeah. And who knows what would have happened. I would have been fourth or fifth.
1: I did <laughs> watch the race in prep for this. It's one of the it's one of the joys of having these conversations is my homework is just so fun. And I did, <laughs> did watch that race and you turned yeah. with a clear half body length on the field. Um, I've heard you say, you know, on any question, you know, that third 25 is, is the key 25 to a swimming a hundred really well. And you could yeah. see that in that race. And then, um, I think it would have been all, well, three quarters of a body length win at the end. And there's a tremendous joy in your face. Was there any relief? Or was it all joy when you, when you finished?
0: A little mixture of both,
1: yeah. you know. Yeah,
0: I think when you first when you first hit the wall, you, you you know, and I I took my time turning around because I when I hit the wall, Greg, it's funny because the crowd erupted. Yeah. So I thought, oh wow, man, I have a fifth. I I know this sound right because our our dormitory overlooked the pool, so we wouldn't go the first couple of days, but we stood out on our balcony and watched the races. So I felt that i knew what that noise was because it would that noise would only happen when an american won but there were two americans in the race it was <laughs> myself and Key. so i think oh i'm gonna sit here and enjoy this for if you watch the race, it takes me about three or four seconds to turn around because i'm thinking just in case i don't lose i don't win at least i'm gonna enjoy this pretending like i won right now um but, uh, but you know, I turn around, and obviously, I start going nuts. But it, it was pure joy from there. But after a while, I, I felt relief. You know, it felt yeah. like this balloon that yeah. it had been blown up and I just popped it and, you know, whew, finally get to this moment.
1: And, and then to go on and win two more golds in the relays with, with, with your brothers in arms, I mean, how did those experiences compare? I mean, it must have been an incredible feeling to win in a team.
0: Yeah, it was. It was, uh, you know, Doing a, a relay is 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 you know obviously special because you share the love, you share the joy, you share share the heartbreak with mm. with your brothers. And for me, it was you know it was definitely a special moment. You know, the guy that got second to me, mm-hmm. Greg, was Australian. I don't know if you know, but his name was Mark Stockwell. No, Mark I, and I are I,
1: still I very saw, good friends. I saw that, and he was one of the favorites going into it. And yeah, uh, he was a favorite. Yeah. He top seed. He ended up what did, he ended up winning. He, he got silver. He, yeah. got he got silver in that um, one, though, But didn't he? In, I should know this. It, isn't it, an Aussie, an he was he in
0: '88? He won. The Aussies won silver in both the free relay and medley relay. Yeah. Um, I actually did uh, sixty minutes. Did a story on that race
2: yeah.
0: of from Australia. Sixty Minutes Australia did a story on that race between Mark and I, and they interviewed us both and everything because of the controversy of the start and everything because he got left on the blocks. Yeah, he
1: did. Um, yeah, sw- swimming's kind of a big deal in Australia. I don't know if you know that.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, are you kidding me? We love our swimmers. Hey, if, I li- if I could live anywhere else in the world <laughs> except the United States, it would no doubt be Australia. People ask me all the time what my favorite, I'm digressing, but my favorite country in the world hands down, is Australia. I, I just love the country. I love the people.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, well, you would have I been there for everything that-
1: announcing, right, in 2000. That would have been – Yeah, um, yeah. There. That there.
0: That was my third Olympics by that time. And, uh, yeah, I, I did the the broadcast. And people asked me my favorite Olympics. And obviously the perfect storm of, of 2008 and Michael and everything was cool. But um, my favorite Olympics was Sydney just because of the, the knowledge that – Aussies have. I mean, people recognize me when I walked down the street in Sydney, Australia. Oh, yeah. This was 16 years after I won. They have a, a, an incredible appreciation for the sport of swimming, and that means a lot to me.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, I think when we first met a couple of months ago on a, on a on a Zoom call or whatever, I was like, I was pinching myself that I was talking to Rowdy Gaines, mate, and I still am. I'm sitting here going, I'm talking to Rowdy Gaines, you know, oh, because, brother. yeah, we, we grow up. It's like uh, – you know, before the Olympics and um, in Sydney, the billboards were you know Michael Klim and Ian Thorpe yeah. and Grant Hackett. I, know, and, I, know. I mean, the, I know. these, and I'm only mentioned the men. Obviously, the, the women yeah. uh, have been yeah. just outstanding. And uh, Madam
0: Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. Susie O'Neill, thank you that, very much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. we just had Amazing. so much depth there. What, what was yeah. it like? You know, you had your swimming career. Did you know what you wanted to do next? I mean, you got into announcing. Was it right away? It was about five or six years later. Did you know that that's what you wanted to do? No, no,
0: no. My father was a motion picture director, and that's what I wanted to do in my life. I wanted to direct movies. I was asked to do uh, Battle of the Network Stars, which was a – Uh, On on a fledgling network nobody had ever heard of called ESPN in 1985, where these uh, stars from different networks would compete against each other in different sports. And they asked me to do the swimming part. Um, And it was in Orlando where I was living. I said, yeah, I guess. I don't know what I'm doing, but yeah. So that kind of led from one thing to another. You know, I was asked to back to do it again and then started doing um, uh, different meets for TNT mm. was covering meets back then, TBS. Uh, they did the Goodwill Games. I remember that. And then I auditioned uh, for the 92 Games. And didn't make it, Um, but I did the triple cast, which was a sort of the cable part of the Olympics in 1992 in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And then I auditioned again in 96 for Atlanta and got it in Atlanta. And so Tokyo was my ninth Olympic Games.
1: Just a quick mini break to remind you to go check out anyquestion.com forward slash Rowdy gains. That's anyquestion.com forward slash Rowdy Gaines. Listen to all his answers that he's got on there and you can ask him follow up questions from this podcast there as well. Cheers. You've been calling for so for so long now, nine Olympics. How does the pressure of calling a race compare to actually competing in them?
0: Was. <laughs> There's no comparison as far as pressure goes. I guess now. I mean I would say that when you first I mean, started you know, it must have been terrifying. The, when I first started, yeah, it was <laughs> it was very stressful. Was it as stressful as competing in the Olympics? Nothing. No, no. No. But yeah, I definitely would get nervous. So you, as you can probably tell, I love to flap my mouth. So I don't really get nervous about, you know, chatting, talking. Mm-hmm. There's certain amount of nervousness, anxiety that you feel and yeah. you know, are you prepared enough? But I always feel like, and it goes back to what you said earlier, I love swimming, Greg. Mm. Swimming saved my life. I was heading down a path that uh, when I was a junior, that probably wasn't too good. You know, I wasn't doing anything really bad, but I was, I could tell I was going down a path that I felt like, you know, could be a bad spot. And, um. So when I went out for swimming, you know, it, it literally changed my life. It saved my life. So I owe the sport so much more than it can ever owe me, you mm-hmm. know, and I love swimming and I love to talk about swimming. I never get tired of talking about swimming.
1: <laughs> no, I, I, I'm i with you when it just comes to sport. It's been fascinating, right. sport, we, you know, right. hundred plus episodes, you know, and having great conversations with, with athletes and coaches and doctors and physiologists and entertainers like and that. entrepreneurs and, and it's been fascinating listening to the amount of people like yourself that it said when they found their passion and just how it helped them really in those adolescent years in particular when we all deal with insecurities and who am i and what am i about and and how sport for the most part has been such a key influence into people finding themselves and and finding the way out of those adolescent insecure years which uneasy i don't look back at my adolescence with fond memories but i do once i start adding in the sport of triathlon from the age of 14 15 i'm like oh that's where i can see my my life turn so i get what you're saying
0: same here buddy same here
1: yeah you know calling these olympics let's look at this you know it's not like triathlon which is basically we got you know a male a female race and now we have a mixed relay so we got three days but swimming eight days or is it nine days of
0: Eight days. Well, yeah, this year it was like
1: eight and a half, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's prelims, semis, finals, so Mm. much, so many races to call. How are you able to actually, (laughs) I mean, there's an endurance component here (laughs) that I'm actually fascinated by because keeping the energy up, uh, sustaining it, do you get any sleep? Uh, you know, take me through a typical day when you're at the Olympics. Well, we called Dan,
0: Dan and I, Dan Hicks, my partner, and I called our eighth Olympic Games together. We started together in '96, so it—that's where it all starts. Uh, uh, having that the positive vibes around you is your partner. Mm. So I have a great partner who's like a brother. I love him dearly. Great mentor. He really helps me. He's a professional. He does uh, all of NBC golf. He anchors NBC's golf. Mm -hmm. Just did the winter Olympics for like the eighth time. So he, he's the ultimate pro. Mm -hmm. Um, we have an incredible producer, Tommy Roy, who, We've worked together on, he started in 04, so 4, 8, 12, 16, 12. That was our fifth Olympics with our producer, Mike Unger from USA Swimming, Is, is helps on the broadcast. He, I couldn't do it without him. So we have a great team. That's where it all starts. Mm. And a typical day would be sort of like a swimming day, Craig. You know, we're, we're at the pool around 6 a.m. and we end up leaving, you know, around 11 that night. Eleven or twelve at night, and so it's it's, it's a long day, uh, but it's not like digging ditches, you know. I mean, you're, you're doing something you <laughs> do love to do. Yeah. Uh, I, that's what my dad says. Quit complaining, you know. I, I call my dad, you know, halfway through, and, he, and I tell him how tired I am. I go, "Are you kidding me? You're calling me the Olympics? Quit complaining."
1: <laughs> I love your dad already. Yeah, <laughs> it's, right. It's a tough man. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> yeah, this in Olympics was unique because the finals were in the morning, mm. uh, like Beijing, and the prelims were at night. Uh, so, you know, we had to get there really early and get ready and prepped. Um, we have, a, you know, we have a, a production meeting mm. um, that starts around 630. Um, that goes for about two hours. And then, you know, we're heading to the booth to call the 10 a.m. races. And then we have a little break of about an hour or so after in Tokyo would be finals
2: mm.
0: so we we had a cot in an edit room and that Dan and I we slept on the floor and try to get a little an hour nap and then started all over again for prelims that night another production meeting and, and do the prelims that night
1: it's unreal I, I, I think that's yeah. just fantastic now look I, I want to move on from here in one moment but I have one final question just talking about your announcing is there one call where you just think that was the best you know is there one that our listeners should go listen to say that was a really not just the race but maybe the way you called it that you walked away from or is it just loads of them
0: <laughs> it's always such a hard question greg i gotta there, ask it though because <laughs> i know it the patent answer is one where if you watch the race and you know the story behind the race it's the 400 free relay from beijing because of how epic it was. Mm. It's the drama before the race that created the, the absolute brilliance of what the race panned out to be. It lived up to everything it was predicted to be. And I mean, they did an hour and a half documentary on a three-minute race. <laughs> so it had to be pretty epic, right? So for me, that, that was, uh, I don't know if it was a perfect call because it wasn't. I actually said twice during the race, I don't think the Americans can do
1: it. Yes, but that adds to it. That makes it even better.
0: (laughs) Because everybody else, you know, know, the the guys on the relay still give me grief. Every time I see Jason Lezak, he always says, oh, are we going to win this race, race, Rowdy? Are we going to win it this time? (laughs) Um, But nobody, nobody thought they were going to win. I was just saying what everybody else was thinking. Right. Yeah. There's not one person that was watching that race that thought the Americans were going to win. Come on. They, and if they
1: did say that they're lying. There's no way. But I actually think, you know, talking yeah. about great commentary, I, 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 I actually don't enjoy knowing the result from a commentator. I yeah. actually, yeah. I always feel like uh, it, it's create the suspense. Of yeah. Even if the Americans have got a two body length lead, I want you to be telling me, I don't know, maybe they can do it. Maybe they can't, you know, and then I'm like, okay, well now I'll, I'll watch. (laughs) So I think the way you'd handle it, you know, whether you meant to or not, I think was the perfect call.
0: Well, it was a, it was a a fun race to call. And certainly will go down in history as I can't imagine another race matching that, but there've been a lot of really good ones. I mean, I mean, I can take you through every Olympics. 92 was Summer Sanders. Of course, I'm a little biased with the American side because I'm broadcasting to the American audience. But um, Jeff Rouse in 96 in the Hunter Back in 2000. It was probably Misty Hyman in that upset of the century at the time with uh, with Susie Mm -hmm. O'Neill, who, by the way, won the gold medal in the 200 freestyle. But she was Madden Butterfly. Yeah, Yeah. You know, and that was a huge upset. 2004. Again, it was sort of an upset because it was the 800 free relay for the United States over Australia. Ian Thorpe anchoring. Or it could have been, you know, in, actually in 2004, it was another race of the century. Remember the 2004 we had Thorpey, Michael Phelps.
1: The 200 men's freestyle. Peter Vaughn and Hogan Wein, y- Grant and Hackett. Grant
0: Hackett. Yeah, I remember right? that. One. Of course. Oh How gosh. do I
1: forget that? That was the race of the, that was amazing.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was <laughs> an Aussie win so, that, that that one, one, the there.
1: It did. He did get that one on those guys and Phelps yeah, was in there, yeah. young Phelps. And, uh, yeah, that was, I mean, let, let, let's, you know, I like geeking out on stuff like this and this was a question on any question when you go, they said, what's the greatest race, you know, and, and, and many of you said, you know, there's a lot of swimming experts on there. Um, you know, the 2008, you know, Do
0: they say that? Is that what a lot of people say?
1: Yeah, I think there was quite a few oh. that said the 2008 uh, relay, four oh, by 100-meter uh, freestyle relay in the men and uh, the US pipping out the the French. But I just had Michael Klim on uh, last ah. week. <laughs> and I would have I know to where say you're going. the best race I've ever seen is the <laughs> Sydney Olympic 2000, the men's four by yeah. 100 freestyle. Klim leading off, sets a world record, 48 overcoming Popov's world record i think to leads off with the world record the australians then have this where they're going to cruise the first 50 when i say cruise they're still flying but allow the americans almost to feel like they're in and then they would swim back over him in the final 25 and they did that for the next second third and fourth leg and then ian thorpe who oh, is probably not noted for him phenomenal 100 meter freestyle but probably more of a 200 right. Specialist, right. And uh, he held off. And he was half a body length behind with 50 to go, even three quarters of a body length with 50 to go. And then he came Gary back Hall. over the top of a Gary Hall Jr. who was talking about the French talking smack. Gary Hall Jr. knew knew how to give it as well, didn't he?
0: I don't know if you can see it, but I'm strumming a guitar. Remember Michael <laughs> getting up on the block and strumming a guitar? <laughs> Because because Gary Hall Junior said he was they were going to smash him like guitars. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, that's what Michael McCready said that he was actually sponsored by um, big name guitar company, and he was sponsored by him, and and so it was a way of him plugging his guitar company at the same time of saying we're going to break you like a, a Gibson. Is it Gibson guitar? A oh, oh,
0: Gibson. Yeah. And uh, sure. and so
1: there was all there was a bit more to it than that, but uh, then the Aussies all got out and started strumming guitars after they beat him and. <laughs> I so it's a it. little bit of, you know, as, as Australians, we don't like that kind of behavior. You know, there's a little bit celebrate with a bit more dignity. In, uh, but I think oh, but you deserve we it. let them have that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, I would have too. Yeah. I mean, looking at swimming history, and you know, particularly the 100-meter the freestyle, and I love the 100-meter freestyle because it is kind of, to some degree, the blue ribbon event, like I said earlier. It's been amazing watching the world record drop and i did do some homework before this so this is not just sitting on the top of my head but world record in 1905 65.8 world record by 1956 was 55.4 with john hendricks australian so i got to mention him in the melbourne Melbourne olympics in 1970 this is when the u.s just say we're going to start trying to own this event And, you know, starting with Mark Spitz, Jim Montgomery. Jim Montgomery was the first to break 50 seconds in 49.99. And then you in 81, 49.36. Then lowered again by Biondi and then Popov and then Klim. Fast forward, you know, we we have the speed suits. uh, speed suits, uh, Cesar Cielo, you know, when he goes, um, what did he do? 20, uh, no, here we are, 49.46.
0: 46.91, 46.91, 46
1: 46. Nine. 46. that's right. But now, without speed suits, 12 years later, or this was actually, you did it 10 years later, Caleb Dressel, 46.96. What are we talking about here? Are we just looking at, I know the starting blocks themselves have changed a little bit, but they're not in speed suits. I mean, where is the future of swimming going? We're talking that a Caleb Dressel could be going that fast without Any help? Is there anything happening in lane lines, or is that is that just is Caleb Dressel the new, dare I say, Michael Phelps? I think
0: if you look at the sport overall, from each generation to the next, they're bigger and stronger. Mm. Uh, You know, our children and our grandchildren will be bigger and stronger than the previous generation it's just the way it is and i take the 50-yard freestyle i know that's not swim internationally but i kind of look at the 50-yard freestyle and sort of what you said in 1976 joe bottom became the first swimmer in history ever to break 20 went 19 mm. 20 years later 1996 freddie busquet from france who was on that relay for france uh became the first swimmer to break 19 and then 20 actually about 20 about 30 years, no, another 20 years later or 21 years later, Caleb Dressel became the first swimmer to ever break 18, right? In 20 years, there's going to be somebody that breaks 17 seconds. It's just, (laughs) but then you start thinking, right, Greg? You think, well, there has to be an endpoint. Yeah. It can't.
1: It can't, can't go, go down, down to, to a zero, one second right? Uh, in 150 right? years, no, it's not going to happen.
0: <laughs> so, it, it's something's going to something's got to give to where there, it's going to end mm. up plateauing mm. for for more, and then just a few short 20 years. But you also have to remember that records, for the most part, are are broken up into what 30 different events, men and women, and then you have Records that are broken by hundreds of a second. So people ask me all about. Well, what about all these world records? Well, yeah, a lot of world records are broken, but you know, it's spread out over a lot of events, and a lot of them are broken by hundreds of a second. And when you take us back to Tokyo, I think there were only
2: two world records broken. Mm-hmm. It wasn't much. Tokyo. Yeah,
0: women's two hundred breaststroke and men's four hundred medley relay. I think were the only. One. Maybe the Aussie women broke the four hundred free relay, but there weren't men Mm. So I think you know. Over time, you are going to see eventually something happening where it plateaus, but it's going to—it's not going to be you and I aren't going to be alive. <laughs> we'll, we'll be long gone, buddy. <laughs> I, I don't know. I
1: mean, it's it's fascinating. I want to get Caleb Dressel on the show actually because I am—I am not just a huge fan of him swimming, but I've been watching him answer questions, and he just seems He's really good. He's just so good, isn't he? I mean, the Very guy's thoughtful. the most authentic, humble person I think I've ever seen. And then you yeah. look at his short bio under his name, it's like, you know, seven time gold medal, 19, you know, world championship golds. You've watched swimming, you obviously know all the data. Obviously, Michael Phelps stands out above the pack, not not just in swimming, but in Olympic sports. The guy is just, what is it, 23 gold medals, 28 medals in total or something? And uh, mm-hmm. 28,
0: 23.
1: You know, we have Caleb Dressel coming along. I mean, is that something you feel comfortable talking about, comparing them? or I mean, I know that is happening sure. a little bit. I mean,
0: I know they don't feel
1: comfortable No, No, it, but no, I, yeah.
0: I, I feel – I mean, first of all, they swim different events. So, yeah. I mean, Michael was a 200 butterfly or 200 IM or 400 IM. That's not in, in – Kale wheelhouse, although he, he did go like 139, 200 yard IM, I mean, he could, he could make the Olympic team in 200 IM if he wanted to, but you know, so they swim different events, although they swim a couple events that were the same. They both swim the Hunter fly, obviously they both swim the Hunter free, but nobody will ever, and I'm sure, uh, I don't know if you follow Twitter, but freezing cold takes, have you ever seen that? No, what's nobody the- will ever win eight gold medals ever again. It's just, just, it's not going to happen. Because everything has to be perfect. And I don't think that perfection is, is capable of happening. No slight against Caleb. It's just that, you know, all, all the relays have to win. You have to swim at least four individual events. And the world has, has changed dramatically since Michael swam. Um, it's become much more specialized. Mm. And uh, that perfect storm will never happen. Now, I will say that Caleb is the best swimmer on the planet. Um, no doubt about it. He's a great, great person. I digress a little bit, but I talked to him on the phone. This is a few months ago. And he called me and he said, rowdy I have all these trophies and medals and plaques that I've won over the years. And I'd like to donate them to different charities. Can you help me organize mm. that? Mm. You know, he wasn't interested in all that, you know, hardware stuff. He was, uh, He really wanted to make a difference in different charities and so he's just that kind of guy man Mm. um he's he's a wonderful human being um and a great representative of the sport
1: he he, he truly is i mean both of them are outstanding people and um amazing stories within themselves you know that eight gold medals so this is one thing how many individual medals did um gold medals did michael phelps get
0: he won uh five individual Oh, into, oh, overall, together, yeah, even overall, mean during his overall, whole career. Yeah, overall. Well, we have to add that up because he won Because three relays. Relay- well, let's say he won three relays in 04, 08. That's six. He won two in 12, which makes eight. And in 16, he won two more. So that's 10. So he would w- have won 13 individuals.
1: 13 individuals still. See, so that's... Mm-hmm. Because I always, I always have this like, well, you know, like you said, it all has to come together with relays and everything else. And if Michael Phelps was swimming for – well, I won't mention a country because that's not fair. But a country that's a non-swimming country, um, he'd still be looking at 13 individual gold medals, which has never been done before yeah. either. And that's where I, I think it's just – I take that
0: back, Greg. Hang on. It was 12. 12. Because they won th- – three relays in 04, 08, and 16. Uh, U.S. won all three relays in 16. And then they won two in 2012. So that's 11, which would have been 12 individuals. But, yeah, sorry, I'm still <laughs> thinking of my mind. It's still
2: crazy. Right? No, yeah.
1: but, I, but I love this conversation because I did put it out on <laughs> on the Any Question App when I said, oh, you know, uh, who's the greatest all-time athlete in history? Now, obviously, the the swimming channel as a whole <laughs> probably had Phelps you know mentioned yeah. a lot not every swimmer actually said Michael Phelps yeah. is the greatest athlete in history Sure, sure. he was a part of nearly every when everybody was trying to break it up and you know in their mind they go, oh well this person you know i got jordan i got kelly slater tom brady blah, blah, you know and he was always in that conversation even if they didn't end yeah. up with him he was always a part of it you were right. quite right. you were quite certain it was him though right
0: yeah i mean i even put it out on twitter the other day i i just you I did have fun and said who's your mount rushmore of 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 greatest athletes i think it was after um Tom Brady had had an amazing season this year and had retired. Oh, it was right after he retired. Right, right. And so I put Michael and then Jordan on uh, Tom Brady and Muhammad Ali, but uh, but you know, you know, the, you can't argue against Kelly Slater, you can't argue against LeBron James, you can't argue against Hank Aaron or Babe Ruth. I mean, It's all barroom talk. It's all opinion. It's all fun, mate.
1: It's one of my favorite conversations.
0: It is. It is. But you know, I think Michael is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just think. I just think it's fantastic. And dude, I won three gold medals
0: over eight days. I swam four races in eight days. We didn't have semifinals. We. I swam four races in eight days and literally thought I was gonna die. (laughs) I was so exhausted. He swam 17 races in eight days and won eight gold medals in one Olympics. Forget about the 28 medals and 23 golds, but just in one single Olympics. Yeah. 17
2: times. Come on. He swam
0: in five Olympics. It's 04, 08, 12, 16. Yeah. Come on. The longevity in… Uh, he won every. He won golds in every Olympics except his first one in 2000. And he was 15 years old. I mean, <laughs> come on, I mean,
1: he's the greatest. I love it. See, I'm right, and everybody
0: else is wrong. There it's we go. Okay. Oh,
1: here we go. The passion's <laughs> kicking in. This is exactly what uh. I wanted. <laughs> no, I look. I think it. I think it's just you know. I'm looking forward to when we do have a beer and catch up, and we'll just put that one on the, and we'll just talk about that for an hour um, because you know. You you mentioned it a lot of names up there, but we're obviously missing probably another fifty.
0: Oh yeah, no <laughs> doubt, uh, no doubt we're missing a lot of it. Same goes for the women. Oh, absolutely, you know, we I haven't mean, touched on the, it, the women. We haven't to touched women, but but Serena and Katie. I think I had put Serena, Katie, Babe. Very few people know Babe Zaharias Dickerson. She was freaking amazing nobody ever mentions motivated.
1: margaret court by the way
0: margaret court is another one that. i was mean she still has one more grand slam
1: than serena williams and yet we we tend to it's, skip it's, right over that when yeah, we're in the u.s i know i know <laughs> i know and nobody mentioned don bradman do you know who don bradman is no okay well the second most popular Oops. sport in the world is cricket did yeah. you know that number one being soccer yeah. And he's the greatest batsman of all time with a 99.84 yes, run, Yes, I
0: have heard of him. In fact, we ha- I had some people No, I had some people mention him when I put that Mount Rushmore on. Why is it cricket in the Olympics? I I never have understood
1: that. I mean, they could probably do the 2020, which is more of a sped up, you know, shorter made for television type series. Um, I I know India would love it. The Indians, you know, cricket is their number one sport by far. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. We have golf and soccer and. And that's the other one. Soccer, and, well, soccer players. You said it's mentioned. the second
0: most popular sport. You would think, yeah, just based on its popularity alone. Maybe that can't be done in 16 days. Maybe it's I don't not know.
1: global enough. You know, as much as it's popular, you know, it's big in India, so that's what really right. pumps it up a bit. Yeah, but um, but I think you still baseball?
0: with. has got to be more popular globally than baseball. I don't know. Baseball's
1: baseball's all around. I mean, we have it in Australia, Japan, I know, and, but not in Europe. No, I guess it's not much in Europe. I don't know, I don't know how the IOC yeah. works or how they make I up their decisions made. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually surprised that none of, nobody mentioned, actually one person mentioned a soccer player when we were talking greatest of all time. I'm like, how did Pelé, Pelé? Or, or Ronaldo or Messi, yeah. you know, this generation, uh, Maradona, I know the Argentinians would yeah. love a, a shout out with yeah. Messi and Aradona, Maradona, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, and then the women's sport for me, you know who I just think is one of the most beautiful athletes to watch is Alison Felix?
0: Yeah, just the way she, she was mentioned she, when I put it out there. She was, she was, she, she was one of the picks. For she a lot was, of she
1: won a gold medal at four Olympics. Yeah, you know, on strong relay teams too. But just, yeah. just yeah. watching her move, I just always thought it was just pretty to watch. You know, when you watch. Yeah. Anyway. I digress. (laughs) (laughs) We could go on and on, but mate, what what do you think with swimming now with the ISL, the international swimming league, you know, the future of swimming, is it becoming more professional Are the athletes becoming bigger names? Uh, Is is that enough? What else has to happen to make swimming become bigger, especially in the U S um, you know, where a lot of the television and sponsors are.
0: It's not an easy answer, Greg. I, I, You know, I think we've tried a a lot of different avenues to reach a more popular base here in the United States. And, you know, the Olympics is so ingrained in everybody. And I just I'm not real sure there can be at least, again, in my lifetime, uh, something as popular as the Olympics. But I do give credit to the ISL and making the attempt. I think it's great for the athletes getting back to what I said earlier about me not making any money. I'm so happy for the athletes now that can, you know, put a little money in their pocket and and swim professionally. I think it's wonderful. Excuse me. I think it's wonderful. And I think it's, uh, uh something that, uh, that can only help our sport. I think FINA is going to come along and make some changes to, to help the athletes. So, I, I think we lost sight. We have lost sight. When I say we, it's not just. It's just. It's not just FINA. It's not just the IOC. I think it's. Uh, it's across the board that we've lost sight of what's best for the athlete. I think now with with the way the athletes are able to have more power, um, and more strength in being not necessarily unionized, but being able to come together. I think it will help future generations. And I get credit to a lot of the current athletes now and taking a stand and say, we need to do what's best for us. And I don't think they're necessarily thinking about themselves. And the perfect example of that is Adam Peaty. I think he ends up making some sacrifices to do what's best for the sport in the future. I really admire Adam Peaty and what he stands for, the you know, greatest breaststroker in history. Oh, easily.
2: Yeah
0: he sort of epitomizes that that athlete of today that, that not only thinks about himself but also thinks about the future of the sport
1: yeah it's 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 interesting you know in the sport that that I'm in triathlon is you know they just started recently the professional triathlete organization backed by sir michael moritz uh, the big vc investor who has fronted up a considerable amount of money and allowed the professional triathlete organization to take their time to get it right you know it's not like a big sponsorship amount of money and where's our return of investment right away they're saying like build it make it more professional it's athlete run what do the athletes need uh, to become more professional. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It's only a couple of years in it, really. It launched almost at the worst time right before COVID and uh, they right. but they did supplement all the athletes, I think, ranked in the top 100, uh, got them all through COVID, um, sent them all checks and helped them out and uh, putting on big sort of million-dollar prize purse wins and, and different types of formats. And they're really doing a lot to try and change the landscape of it being less owned by individual entities and giving it more back to the athletes so it's going to be interesting to see what happens and potentially that's something that the swimming world can do and the swimmers can can do as well um i i i threw some ideas at bruno fratus when he was in here chatting with me and and i i figured i'll throw these out to you and get your your thoughts so i think swimming could remove the lane lane ropes and have 16 people in a race
0: oh my gosh wouldn't that be great (laughs)
1: I'm just saying this is just to get audience, you
0: know. Yeah. I love it.
1: Uh, I think we uh, should have them get out at each end and run around the blocks. I know they do that in training anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And then we could actually, because that's, you know, triathlon, we do that now for the Olympics. They make them get out each lap and and usually it's just a two-lap swim. But it's great because then you get them running out and then you get these magnificent dives um, yeah. Back into the water, so it's something to think about. Um, you know, when you talk it about is. just getting people more eyes and more interest, what do you think of my ideas so far? They, they, I love it. Okay, I'm, Bruno I'm, was all I'm, against I'm, it, so
0: <laughs> I think we should never be afraid to fail. Yeah, um, taking risks in life is a part of what makes you strong. I took a risk by using the track start, yeah. um, and um, you know what. I love change. Change is healthy. Well, I take that back. Change. I don't love change. I hate it. I'm so. I'm so stuck in the mud, wanting routine. Go to bed at nine o'clock every night. No, I'm just. <laughs> Me too. But when I do change, Greg, it is healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, when I after I've made the changes, I'm freaking living out in here in the middle of nowhere, um, which was really scary, but change is healthy. I think it's been good for me. It's Mm -hmm. helped me grow as a person. So uh, I know I'm getting deep dive here, but I think getting back to your point about making changes, putting 16 kids in the water, take those lane lines out. That would be fun. Don't be afraid to change. I'm not sure that would be the one that would, pass by the way. No,
1: I don't know either. Yeah. But I think anything
0: it's, any, anything that that would be good for the sport to grow would be awesome.
1: I think so too. I mean, it comes back to that old saying, doesn't it? You know, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome is, you know, definition of insanity. But, um, yeah. you know, anyway, mate, this has been fantastic. I have a couple uh, questions I'd like to ask you. Um, sure. All right. So the first one: what three people, not family, would you invite to a special dinner, and why? What, three people? Three people. Anybody in the world. And it can be past or present. I mean, up to you.
0: Right, right. Um, well, I I am a big war buff. Mm-hmm. I, I, I watch documentary after documentary on war. Mm-hmm. So for me, I would love to invite George Patton. Mm-hmm. He, he's one that was a incredible um, leader in World War Two. Um, but very controversial Mm -hmm. I would love to see what made him tick I got a chance to meet Muhammad Ali twice Wow! but I would love to invite him to dinner, I mean I carried on a 60 second conversation with him once and the other time it was just you know I shook his hand but boy he was a fascinating human being Mm -hmm. perhaps the most popular athlete in the history of sport and uh, I would love to to, to get to know him, that's, man, who would be the third one? I, I think for me, it would have to be somebody like Mother Teresa, you know, who, you know, made such a huge impact, and she was female. I, my, I have four daughters and five granddaughters. <laughs> it's so bad in my house. I, I play with Barbies, and I like it, Greg. Right? <laughs> You poor man. (laughs) Quiet, quiet. It's so bad in my house. I sit down to go pee now. That's how bad it is in my house.
2: You totally given up. Don't be laughing.
0: That's a true story. So for me, it would be a great woman leader, yeah, um, yeah. like Mother Teresa, who would be somebody that you know impacted the world on a global scale. I I think globally. You know, Mm. I mean, I'd love to invite Michael Jordan. You know, but he, he, it was just basketball. I wanted somebody like like Muhammad Ali who impacted the world uh, outside of his sport too. Mm-hmm. Well, Jordan did that too, obviously. But
1: I love that. Anyway, three, I, those then.
0: are three that jump off my mind. Anyway, that that is way. a
1: fantastic. Th- so my my brother is um, a chaplain, but he also has a master in war history and uh so you you oh, and him wow. could sit down and and uh, i would love to i can chat to you about swimming and sport all day and then when you want to shift over to your other passion of war history you can sit uh, down with my my brother um lo- but, but oh what a great gosh, three i can't
0: wait to have a conversation with your brother yeah
1: yeah i mean we do talk we do talk a, a lot and i i usually come at it with a bit too much um like, I think I know what I'm talking about. And then he's like, nah, you're wrong there. Anyway.
0: No, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I just still love. Oh, me too. I love, I, I just, I love history. History. I'm the same um, as you. And it's yeah, becoming stronger history.
1: the older I get, the more I. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I like, I really like your three. I think that's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> um, I've got the Queen of England in mine. I think, uh, I think Queen of ah, Queen Elizabeth.
0: of England. Oh, my wife and I have been watching The Crown.
1: How um, good is it? Really good, isn't it? It's so good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love it. What a woman, huh? And my wife loves – oh, she was amazing. I mean, say what you will about the crown and about the royal family. It is – fat. what she's been able to do – I mean, I know we're getting into the weeds here, but what she's been able to do for the last, you know, 80 years is just – it's just amazing. It's amazing. I mean, you have to give the woman credit to being – yeah. That's a good one, Greg. <laughs> well, there I you go. Have we'll have Mother Teresa and you. the Queen
1: now. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's fantastic. Okay, one more question, then I'll, I'll we'll say our goodbyes. But um right. what's one piece of advice you would give to someone to help just optimize their own lives?
2: I
0: think for me is consistency. I, I think for us, you know, everybody thinks, "Wow, oh, you you talk about loving swimming, and that's why you." You know, I always tell them that, that the number one reason why I want that I won was because. Uh, passion right we talk about that because i love swimming i loved it and i think that's one of the reasons why but i didn't love it every single second in fact i hated pain greg i don't know about you but i hated practice oh, I, hate it. I didn't like practice i craved the feeling i had after practice
1: yes i know exactly right? what you're Did you talking like about pain of course not mate we i right but of course i like to race if i could race every week i would that was my thing. Right. I just want to write. But you don't get
0: to do that, right? No. You've got to train. No. So I hated training, but I craved the feeling <laughs> of what it felt like when I was done. Right. Yeah. So getting back to that original question that you don't have to be perfect, but you have to be consistent. Yes. I- don't, I, I feel bad for for athletes or for people in general that have to feel like they have to be perfect along the way every single minute. You don't. You yeah. just have to be consistent. Yeah, that's great. And again, there were many days I hated swimming, but I was consistent in my passion and my love for the sport. So for me, it would be try to learn about consistency in your life.
1: That's fantastic, mate. Just keep showing up, everybody. Keep showing up. All right, That's buddy. Right. This was absolutely a joy for me. So thank you so much for taking the time <laughs> out. Um, really appreciate That's it. Right. What's next for you? You, um, you know, any other? We've got the World Championships this year, I believe. Yep. Back on world the World
0: Championships, which were ba- uh, reinstated just a yeah. couple weeks ago. Yeah. You know, They canceled them, mm. and now they're in Budapest. So yeah, I've got Worlds, NCAA Championships in the college. I love the college championships. Great, great. More broadcasting, and I and I work for an incredible water safety foundation called Step Into Swim. As part of the pool and hot tub. Alliance, okay. where we try to really make a difference in impacting children across the country and teaching swim lessons and trying to get children, especially in those underserved communities, the ability to learn how to swim. It's really important. Drowning is an epidemic in our country. And and for me, um, nothing brings me greater joy than, than seeing a child learn how to swim.
1: Good man, oh, I love that, mate. Do you, do you know um, we taught our daughter to swim? Our four-year-old, our two-year-old's giving us a bit more pushback on it, but she was like a, a literally a fish to water. And uh, I used um, good old mate of mine, Laurie Lawrence. Do you remember Laurie Lawrence? Oh. The- Australian Are you kidding? So his swim school, Lawrence, this yeah,
0: freaking doc councilman, <laughs> uh, you know, he's
1: like the the man. I got to get him on the a show legend. actually. Yeah, <laughs> he's, oh, he's but we we did his swim school for our four year old, and it was amazing how well it worked. And um, but our little yeah. guy, he he actually had a moment in the pool. You know, where he kind of fell in just enough that scared him about a year ago, and so it's taking a little bit more to have him want to do it and so it's that whole slow process of pouring the water over his head and getting him used to it and um but we're almost there with him every kid is different every kid is different every kid 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 mate well that and that's called step step into swim is that step into swim perfect
0: stepintoswim.org if you want to get more involved with teaching children how to swim just log on to stepintoswim.org and you'll learn a lot more about that
1: thanks mate All right, Rowdy. Thank you so much for your time, mate, just sharing (laughs) your journey and all your knowledge. Really appreciate it. Um, For everybody else, you um, can find the show notes, timestamps, and coupon codes at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. All right. Thanks again, Rowdy. You too.
2: Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page, or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.